Lace up your boots and grab your mouth guards. It's time for the Rugby Wrap, the podcast about all things Western Force and the game we love. Well, hello and welcome to the Rugby Wrap. Great to have your company as we wind up one competition and look forward to another. My name's Mick Collis and joining me as always, former Wallaby Mitch Hardy. Mitch, good to catch up. Nice to be back again, Mickey, and we've finally got to the end of Super Rugby AU and Super <laughs> Rugby Aotearoa, and we're straight into it, Trans-Tasman, right around the corner, mate, so looking forward to it. Yeah, very much so. And a man who will once again explain why getting your line out right is so difficult, it's the former Western Force hooker, Heath Tessman, and Tess, always good to see you. And that was my planned introduction, but unfortunately, Tess has been caught up working hard for Australia, so... Hopefully he'll jump in later on, but I didn't want to waste that good introduction. He's, he's late again. He's late basically. again. He's, he's, basically, <laughs> he's FIFO. He's FIFO. Well, last Saturday night, the Queensland Reds completed a journey that was 10 years in the making, winning their first piece of silverware since 2011. In an epic battle, they came from behind in the 85th minute to steal a 19-16 victory over the ACT Brumbies to be crowned Super Rugby AU champions. And one man who has been there to witness the highs and the lows over that time is the former World Cup winning Wallaby and now chairman of the Queensland Reds, Jeff Miller. And he joins us now. Jeff, great to have you with us on the Rugby Wrap. Cheers, Mick. Mate, now firstly, congratulations. Um, We'll get to the game itself in a minute, but that must have been a a very satisfying win for the organisation. Look, it's been a long time in the making and it has been a very tough 10 years. If if you think back to 2011 when the team won Super Rugby and then from there it's been in constant decline for a, a long period of time. So the last three to three years in, in particular has been a real uh, building block for, for us. And there was, as you mentioned, there were some tough years following Ewan McKenzie's departure. Um, you went through a couple of coaches, plenty of fan dissent. I remember reading social media comments about supporters threatening to hand back in their membership. So how, how tough was that? Oh, look, it was it was really tough at, at the time. And it's interesting because you look back at those times and you're looking for the quick fix the, the whole time. So as you say, you know, when I joined the, the Queensland Rugby Board as president to start with and then stepped into the chair's role, uh, I think we had been through three coaches, three CEOs, three chairs, all in three years. Mm. And you just couldn't get any constant continuity or consistency at, at that point in time. And everyone was searching for success and trying to, to, to go the easy route, I think, and, and the quick fix, and it just wasn't working for us. So, so how did the club turn things around? Well, we appointed Brad Thorne uh, as coach of, of the Reds, but, you know, in all honesty, Brad was a very young and, and raw coach in, with little experience coaching at, at that level. So he'd coached our under-20 side uh, and then he was coaching an NRC team as well, Queensland Country. But we took a, a gamble on him based on the man that he is and what he said he would do is that he would change the culture of the, the organisation. And when Brad first stepped in into the role, he made some really tough decisions at that point in time and the board uh, and, the, and the management backed him to, to take those tough decisions. One of them was Quade Cooper, if you recall, yep. uh, Carmichael Hunt. Yep. The following year, James Slipper all exited the organisation and it was all built around uh, making sure that he had the the right culture 
for the team. And he knew that he, having uh, coached a lot of the younger guys through the, the 20s, he knew that he had talented players coming through, that he wanted, that they wanted to play for Queensland and they wanted to be here. Um, and he didn't want them being led astray at all by any of the, the I guess, the players' behaviours that didn't reflect what his values or he thought the values of the team should because, like, was that was that an, an easy sell? That that whole thing about him trying to rebuild the culture was that something the board were thinking? Yes, this is what we need. It was. Uh, we needed something. Put it this way, because you know, it was very frustrating to see the team not performing where where we thought Queensland should actually perform. Hmm. So, culture was a, a big part of that. Um, it was also. You know, Brad didn't have it easy when he first stepped in. Uh, he he was allowed to to pick his coaches straight up, his assistant coaches. He went through a, a really tough year that first year. I think it was a, a very much an awakening for him as to the the pressure and the strain of playing Super Rugby, travelling the world, um, and results didn't go his his way in the, in the first year and. Mm. Um, a number of the assistant coaches that, that were with him, they, they really struggled th- through that year. So he, uh, we actually realised after the first year that we needed to put some um, experience around Brad and we needed to get the balance of coaches right as well so that we could give him the best opportunity to actually progress through with, with the team. So we worked hard at, at getting the, the balance right um, and making sure that we were picking coaches that would stay with him for a period of time. Otherwise, you get that churn factor happening. Because you mentioned, like, the success, like, his first couple of years weren't good. What made you stick with him when other coaches weren't given that luxury? Well, we made a a decision uh, three years ago that we would – one of the the key strategies for the the union was – and I like to call it the three S's – so – Stability, sustainability, and then success. Mm -hmm. So the the first and the hardest part of that is to get um, stability. So even after his first year, he changed out two coaches, um, two assistant coaches. So it was only in his third year that he actually had consistency of coaching. And, and you have to be able to build uh, your programs a, around that. So, you know, bringing in, in Jim Mackay was a, a great move and Cameron Lillycrap's been with him for a, a long period of time and then we just put additional coaches uh, around him. And, and that stability enabled, you know, us to take a, a step forward. It was still hard. If you think back to, to last year, you know, we were travelling the world in our first four games. I think it was mm. Canberra, Johannesburg, uh, Buenos Aires, and then and then back for our first home game. So, and and again, the results weren't great. So we we're fairly, you know, I think COVID's been good to us. Um, it's given us an opportunity to actually build a, a team and and bring those younger players through in an environment where they can get to know the taste of winning. And you, you talk about building that good young side. Did success come earlier than you thought it would? 
No, no, not at all. I thought, and, and again, this is the the whole thing. I thought we were we're probably a, a year away. Um, this year, I, I felt, however, that we needed to take the next step up. Um, and what what was really pleasing about this year is that the team started to actually play rugby. And and when I mean, you know, it, particularly in the competition that we're in, and we're really big on this at producing a product that provides entertainment. And mm. I know that winning is is important, but uh, gee, through the the battles that we've been in terms of TV TV negotiation broadcast rights. COVID, uh, we saw declining crowds in, in Queensland rugby over a long period of time. Um, and we just need to, as a game in this country, mm. we need to make sure we are putting a quality product out in, in market. And was that was that a directive given to Brad Thorne to play that attractive style of game? No, Brad was, there was no real directions given to, to Brad at all. I think he's developed that in line with the attack coach, Jim McKay. Um, they adopted a different defensive pattern uh, under Michael Todd. Um, so it's pretty much been the way that he sort of sets the ground rules. The, the other thing that he's done, uh, Mick and Mitch, I think, which is really important is, um, one of the things that we've worked hard as as an organisation is to re-engage with the, the rugby community. Um, and, and Brad has been a very big part of that. He instituted a, a program called Reds to Regions. So uh, he started uh, two, two or three years ago whereby he uh, made the players in the pre-season. He gave up a week of pre-season. They would go in pairs and they'd be billeted around the state. Mm. Uh, Staying, staying with locals and connecting with the represent, connecting with the people of Queensland, and showing them that they're representatives of all of Queensland. And oh, if you ever come to the administration building, you'll go into the team room. You'll see the jerseys hanging on the wall of all of the junior clubs and clubs that have hosted the the Reds for that period of time. So strong connection there. We've worked really hard at getting connections back to our premier clubs, um, and it's been a big it's been a big part of the the building of of the whole program. Mm -hmm. And as a board, we set ourselves targets of, you know, eighty percent of our red squad has to come through our own programs, our our, our, our uh, elite development programs, and our club programs. Yeah, righto. And Mitch, all that that connecting with the fans is something we've talked about. How 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 important do you think that was for the Reds doing that Reds to Regions thing? Well, I think you can measure the success of that on the forty thousand people that yeah. potentially showed up last Saturday night, Mick. Like, um, I don't know what the numbers were previously, but we all knew that crowd numbers, as far as bums and seats go, were, you know, goes that were dwindling over the mm. last few years. So. You know, and you look at the Waratahs and, and they're struggling to reconnect with their uh, rugby community and the impact that's had on bums and seats. I think the Reds has completely done the opposite. And you think about the the, the talisman that is Ballymore and the role that it plays with connecting to the rugby community, not only that, but also the clubs. You know, I was lucky enough to be around uh, Brisbane the time of the finals last year and there was a real buzz around the place 
around the, the rugby community there. And it, it's no surprising that that connects, that connection that the Reds have been working on and Queensland Rugby have been working on um, has resonated with the rugby community. And it, and it shows when people turn up to watch their team in the final. Yeah, because it's, it's not rocket science, though, is it? No, no. But I think we the important thing is, is guys are playing. Like the other week when the Reds had a bye, Reds players were playing in the in the in the competition, and I think the that's part of it. You have to value the competition for what it is, and that's that's a connection to your your professional program. Jeff, we're gonna. We, oh, I was gonna. I was gonna say. Look, it was really obvious to me. Like three years ago, uh, when we we attend uh, club presidents' meetings, and during the season they're once a month, and just to keep the the club presidents informed of what we're doing, but. Talking to them, it was always about, oh, oh you know, I'd, I'd, that, they would always say, oh, that's your team. The Reds mm. are your You know, and I keep saying to them, hold on, no, that's not right. The Reds are our team. Yeah. And, and it's that whole cultural shift um, whereby trying to get people to acknowledge and appreciate that this is, this is our team. This is genuinely our representative team. And then if you're good enough and you'll come through the pathways, you'll actually have a chance of playing for, for this team. Mm. And I think it's, it's turning a bit, people appreciating that before this, this last game, uh, videos were sent out to all the schools. So those players and the schools that they had gone to, they prepared a video, went back into the schools and, and just exposed the values of rugby and how they'd love to have the support of the, the team and, uh, the, the school and the schools would, would come out to the game. So it's, that connection is such an important part for all of us. Yeah, and it, it's, it's great to see a professional organisation doing it because the fans have seen it for a long time and known that it's been needed, and it's nice to know that the professionals are actually seeing it from the fans' point of view because it's so important and the results no are coming, which is great. Now, um, what, one player who has the potential to be a global superstar is Taniela Tupo, still a young man, especially for prop. I had Kiwi mates sending me YouTube clips of him when he was playing at school. How did you get him? Well, he was, I think he came across and he was playing for brothers in, in Brisbane. So they picked he and his brother up, um, and, and this was a while ago, but he was identified at that point in time of being a, a possible Reds player, and he's just gone from spring to spring. Because are you? does he surprise you with what uh, he can do? Surprised me with his skill level, yeah, <laughs> and, uh, and his ability to, to run the football. Uh, sometimes he, he runs without it, but uh, <laughs> and he, and he's got a step. And I tell you what, he's a crowd favourite, so there's a cult fo- following. And he's such a big kid. I don't know if you ever watch his uh, uh, Instagram posts or something like that, but he'll be sticking his fingers up his players' nose or in their ears, <laughs> you know wrestling with his dogs he's just a big kid because and and he's the sort of person like apart from what he can do uh, on the paddock which is fantastic it's been a long time since rugby has had someone like that 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 will put bums on seats that is that is a as a, like a global he could be a global superstar because of just of, of what he can do and who he is yeah that's right it's going to present a big challenge for us and rugby in australia to keep him here because you know he'll be sought after globally. Yeah, yeah. He'll be a hot property with yeah. with the he can do, and he can play a full game. You know, he's he's finishing eighty minutes and finishing mm. strong. Yeah, and how and old is he? For, 
Is he 24? 20... I think he's yeah, young. He'd be he's early. Young, yeah, he's only a young buck still. Yeah. In prop he's, terms, he's an infant. He's a buck, yeah. Yeah, as a prop. He's <laughs> just a kid. And, and, and go on, Mitch. Go, Mickey. No, I was just going to say, it's always tough coming down from a big high that was the weekend, Jeff, and obviously moving into the uh, Trans-Tasman competition, what sort of the expectations on the team from here? Just um, as before, a, Or am just, I getting ahead of your interview Interview here, Mick? You're, just, you're one question ahead of me. Just, Jeff, <laughs> is, there, is there a better redemption story than James O'Connor? I have to go, you have to think a long way to, to find a better story. Um, I was talking to a few people the other night, you know, when... When Brad first came to us and said, I want to contract James, we all said to him, you've got to be kidding. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, what are you doing? Yeah. You, you, know, you, can't, you can't do that. And uh, his persistence, though, and his work with Sam accordingly to actually uh, espouse that, that James had actually changed. And, of course, I'd, I didn't believe it because I'd been around at those, those times and I'd seen some dreadful behaviours at, yeah. at that in time as well but to James's credit he uh, flew himself up from Sydney he uh, sat in front of the board we absolutely grilled him for 90 minutes um, we had Pat Howard sits on our board as well he did all the reference checks of his time in in the UK and he was able over that period of time to convince us that and he put he allowed us to change the standard player contract to put a clause in that if he you know violated that contract there'd be termination without penalty. And for me, um, the way that he presented himself, uh, the background information that we've got, and the fact that he was willing to back himself, we knew that you know that the risk was was minimal. And he's he has been fantastic for our team. We wouldn't be half the team without mm-hmm. him. Because he was, because he obviously he was, he was at the Western Force in his early days, and he left there to improve his brand when he went to Melbourne, and he he put a lot of people off. Um, he was the starting ten, I remember, for the Wallabies against the Lions, and no Australian team wanted him, and we didn't have much depth in ten. Here's the the Wallaby one that no one wanted, so it was obviously a gamble. But he's he's just become this guy now that that everyone everyone has warmed to again. Like it, it's just been a complete circle. Mick, it wouldn't surprise me if he captains Australia. Yeah. He, I've heard from uh, people that have been down at the training camps that he's like the Pied Piper. The mm. the kids all want to follow him, and yeah. he does it with such composure and and humility. Now, um, I I bumped into one of the guys that I work with um, today, and and he was telling me a story about uh, his son uh, met James O'Connor. I think they were in a hairdresser or something like that. James spent half an hour talking to the kid because he had a Reds jersey on, wow. had a with him and just had a, a bit of a play. So that just was unbelievable for someone to be able to do that. Yeah. No, it's it's great. And I've I've really enjoyed um, changing my own mind about him because, you know, I, I went off him, but I, I've really enjoyed getting back on the James O'Connor bandwagon. And, and it was it was great to see him on, you know, on Saturday night scoring all 19 points and, you know, the last try and kick last goal. It was, it was a great moment for him and a great moment for rugby. And so, Mitch, on that, before we get to Trans-Tasman, on Saturday night, did the best team win? You're talking to me, Mick, or Jeff? Yep. No, to you. Because <laughs> Jeff, Jeff might be biased. Yeah. Um, <laughs> 
Yeah, no, I think – well, I picked them, mate. I Did not I not say that yeah, the Reds will win them. in the last 10 minutes? Yeah, you did. That the Brumbies will lead all game and then the be- the Reds bench will get them home. I was screaming at the telly with about 25 minutes to go going, get Filippo on, get Saru on. <laughs> you idiot, Brad Thorne. What are you doing? You're blowing it. Get your bench on. Um, and when they, those guys finally get on, you know, they are – they do make a difference. The pace of the game lifted a little bit. Um, obviously, the Reds got a string of penalties, which helped them, and the two yellow cards – you know, you can you can debate those all day long, but it is what it is. The Reds, the Brumbies had every opportunity to to win it, and they gave the Reds every opportunity to win it as well. So, you know, I think when you look at the competition as a whole, the Reds barely had a bad game, um, and other than the, probably the force one, which you know probably was the the glitch on it, but it kept things interesting in the competition for when they went down to the force. Um, I think they were the dominant team; they deserved to win the the cup. You look at you know, the disappointments from last year where they got beaten on the bell and the way the, the team has grown over the last 12 months, both individually for the players involved, but also as a group, then I think, you know, it was the right outcome in the end. And it was good for Australian rugby and it's good for to have a, a packed stadium that oh, is yeah. just absolutely humming as part of it all too, which is which is all part of it. I thought, I thought at, at one stage there when the Brumbies scored, I thought they were actually going to, go ahead with it because they were they were dominating every phase of that game. But the Reds, yeah. you know, to their credit, they hung in and they've had form all throughout the year, but they've come from behind against the Brumbies to beat them. So they they stayed in touch long enough. And then Jeff, that that last five minutes, what was that like from your, you know, from your elevated private box? What was the what was the atmosphere like? Oh, it was amazing at at, sta- at the stadium. It was just uh, while it was amazing, I mean the atmosphere was fantastic. The, the crowd were, were right into it. Only about uh, in the 75th minute or the 70 from the 70 to the 75th minute, the crowd got a bit bored and they started doing the, the Mexican way. Oh, really? <laughs> and then the last, uh, you know, from 75 through to, to 85, everyone was focused and there was just a roar going through the whole stadium. And, of course, there were a couple of false starts when, we thought the team had scored and they were over the line but getting held up and, and all of those sorts of things. So it was just a magnificent atmosphere to run for 10 minutes. But gut-wrenching because you th- just think, I always sit back and thought today how different it would be, you know, how people would be feeling yeah. so elated if the team hadn't, hadn't have gone up. So, yeah, it was a, look, it was a really, I think, positive thing for rugby in Australia. I know I'm... I'm biased. Uh, the Brumbies have been a very successful team over a, a long period of time, but we need to be actually having the likes of Queensland and New South Wales for that matter and and hopefully uh, at some stage in the future the Force and the Rebels challenge and, and win tournaments to make mm-hmm. it a genuine competition. Yeah. And, and Mitch, they obviously missed Paisami, but um, Fluke went pretty well, do you think? Oh, look, I thought he was... Okay, like he did his job out there. I mean, he had one one really good touch where he um, made a nice clean break, but I think majority of his game was he was pretty much used as a bit of a decoy through the midfield there so that they can open up the channels. So obviously they played smart. Um, they didn't try and tie him up because of his size in the midfield there too much. But, you know, I think that's the strength in the Reds, that they can adapt to the players that they've got available on the field. So, uh, uh, you know, and Brad Thorne probably took a bit of a gamble picking him there and they, it would have been tempting to, to move Patea to the, the centre um, but 
you know, they, he got away with it and they were able to adapt their game. But I think that goes back to James O'Connor also. His, his game management this year has been really top class. Um, and the forward pack, um, the Reds forward pack themselves, you know, they've been laying a really good foundation mm. all year. So you, you, it's very easy to single guys out for good performances and poor performances. But as a whole, you look at their depth and the way they can manage that squad. And Brad Thorne has built that depth over a period of time as well, where he's got those options available to him at any point in time. Um, you know, when you can got Liam Wright coming off the bench mm. in the back end of a game, Saruiru and Filippo, you know, it's it's a luxury that they've been able to build over a period of time. It just doesn't, they haven't bought the bench. They haven't imported them. It's something they've built. And you mentioned uh, Jordan Pattaya. Uh, again, he, he seems to, I don't know whether he's, he hasn't got any confidence at the moment, but he, he never, he always looks worried. He looks, he looks like he's lost his best friend every single time the camera pans over to him. Yeah. And, um, you know, there's a lot of pressure on the kid as well. Like there's a lot of pressure on him to perform. He's, he's been talked up since an early age. Um, the poor kid lost his father last year and all those sort of things go on. So I kind of got a, a lot of sympathy and empathy for, for him at the moment. And it looked like he, he did a hammy or something running along in the, the dying minutes of that, well, it's probably about the 65th minute when Filippo came on, he pulled a hammy or did something. And he's barely been able to play past that 60-minute mark in a game without having a cramps or something going on. So he's had a pretty tough run. There's a lot of pressure on him. But, you know, I guess Brad Thorne stuck to his guns and keeping him on the wing there, then he's just giving him a set role to do in the game. It would have been interesting to see what the, the that Dave Rennie does with him longer term with the Wallaby squad and where that where that um, comes about with the test matches against the French and so forth. But um, in my view, I don't think he's done enough to want Wallaby selection just for the moment. And being in a training camp environment with the Wallabies is probably what's going to be best for him. And Jeff, how, how is he? Is he is he injured? Is he, is he okay? Did I he okay? have injury report yet because the team's only just got back to training. Yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, they, <laughs> they certainly celebrated hard. And how 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 is how is Jordan? Like you know, we mentioned he, he never looks happy when he's playing. Is he kind of in a good space? He, he's one of the he's uh, fairly stereotypical of of some of the the Polynesian boys. He's very shy, um, and you don't get a lot out of him when you actually talk to him. Mm. Um, I know that uh, people that are close to him said that he's probably lost a little bit of confidence at the moment. And as uh, Mitch said, I think that's coming through his his play on the field. And I know that they'll be working with him just to try to, to bring that confidence back and just maybe underplay his his arm a little bit instead of mm. trying to do too much. Because he's such a he is such a great talent. Now it's a strange situation where you you win a comp on Saturday and you're straight mm. into a new one the following weekend. Do you before we get into that? Do you like the format? of playing Super Rugby AU and then the Trans-Tasman, or would you rather see the standard home and away comp next year? Well, it's quite topical at the moment because we've been debating this from a Rugby Australia perspective, and I think all of the the provinces in Australia would prefer to play Super Rugby AU and then roll into Trans-Tasman and go straight into Trans-Tasman. So um, it's been, uh, for us, it's, it's been very good. Uh, it allows all the teams to, to build some confidence and then I think get a bit of form and then hopefully uh, we'll be able to compete with, with the Kiwis. And cause it's, it's great having the derbies every weekend and, and having two Australian teams playing in a grand final. 
which we yeah. wouldn't get. And that's I think that's why we had <laughs> that's why we had forty two thousand people at Suncorp. Well, I tell you, yeah. how how good is that though? I mean, Brett Robinson and, and Mark Bartholomew's that were in the box the other night call it the Super Five, but yep. it doesn't <laughs> it doesn't it really doesn't matter. I, I was surprised. Um, the crowd has really got behind it, and I think that that's mainly because they've been really genuinely wanting the Reds to do well for some time. So to be able to have uh, a relatively short competition, have two Australian sides in a grand final and give it 40,000, mm. showed me that there's still a, a real a love of the game here up in, in Queensland. Now, Mitch, your question that I cut you off about 20 minutes ago, if you want to launch into that with Jeff. No, it's just... just- the question was more based around how do you how do you prepare for something like the Trans Tasman as an organisation, given that you're only playing each of the Kiwi teams once. Um, what, as an organisation, what are your objectives around the Trans Tasman? I mean, don't roll out the old cliche, oh, it's to win it, but what's the objectives of it long term? To to is it to measure yourself against where we where you're at now against the Kiwis? Is it to keep building on the crowd support that you've got? What is it that you're going to really want from the organisation over the next five weeks? Well, uh, for us, it's very much around testing ourselves. Brad wants to build a squad, and and we do as well, that is best of class. Uh, Without being too cliche, we'd like to represent, we'd like to replicate the Crusaders, you know, whereby um, we are consistently playing in in finals football. And, And you would know that you want to play against the best. You want to measure yourself against the best. Uh, this weekend, as I said, the, the boys took it as a, a genuine grand final. They celebrated after the game. Um, I think they've only just got back to training late the, this afternoon. But they'll go across to Dunedin and, and they'll want to put on a, a good performance. I do think, though, Brad's got the Crusaders in the back of his mind. He, he might be looking forward a little bit too far in, in terms of another week when uh, the Australian champions will take on the New Zealand champions, which, again, we're hoping that that will be a, a big game at, at Suncorp and um, we'll get a, a good crowd there as well. Yeah, that should be an absolute blockbuster. That's on Saturday the 22nd of May, Mick. And the good thing about this is there's no buys. No one gets a buy now. Yeah. That's what's what I like about it. Ginge, what's your thoughts on bringing in that extra sixth team, the Fijian Drua or the Pacifica Samoa or the Pacifica, oh, Pacifica team, What to get rid yeah. of the buy? Do you support that? We will support it on the on the basis that it's uh, that there's funding there to be able to support the team commercially uh, and that it adds value uh, somewhere along the line. You know, if it's a genuine, if, it, if it's a, not a sacrifice, but if, if we're able to help develop uh, South, South, the players of the South Pacific, I think we would support it every day of the week. Um, but we do, you know, COVID's given us an opportunity to actually take a pause and revisit what competition structures should look like in the future and also made us think about financial sustainability over a period of time mm-hmm. and what's going to be best for our, our game and how can we be uh, maintain that competitiveness in a very competitive in, environment, as, as you know. Mm. 
So on that, what what's the I noticed in the background of some footage of the boys training, the Ballymore developments progressing. So what's uh, what's the latest on the the Ballymore development? Because no doubt that plays an important role in the future of the Reds and well, it, and rugby. Yeah, it does, and we hope it plays a, a future role in Australian rugby. To be honest, it's the only it's a single asset that rugby technically owns. Um, so we have knocked down the old McLean stand that there, and we're building a national training centre, which gonna, is a. Jeff, are you going to have the? Are you going to put up the Miller stand? <laughs> no, no, still going to build the McLean. Okay. <laughs> we carry on those those traditions, but uh, it's a, in, effectively a, a modern McLean stand. Looks almost the the same, but it'll have uh, terrific gym facilities. It'll have. Uh, auditoriums, change rooms, office capability. So, and and it'll be the home for the, the Wallaroos and it'll be home for the Reds. And that's that's just stage one of the development. So, you know, we we haven't had a lot of money spent on Ballymore over the years and it's in it's in disarray at the moment or disrepair. And it's important for us to actually regenerate or generate mm-hmm. revenue out of Ballymore. Uh, instead of it being a, a significant chain around our neck to becoming um, a financial um, asset for us that's income producing. And again, Ballymore's got such a, a um, so many people have got a, a connection, an emotional connection to the ground. And it's it's almost like it's the grassroots again. And, and it's great that Queensland are, are looking after that grassroots part of Queensland rugby. Yeah, it's it's really important for us. You know, we went through particularly over the last few years where it's been financially very tough and, and people probably don't appreciate this, but Ballymore, just to keep it open, the gates open, costs us over a million dollars a year just to keep the gates open. So, mm-hmm. you know, when, you, when you're doing it tough financially, um, you start thinking about are we better off handing this asset back to the government, mm-hmm. letting them run it and look after it and maintain it and, and all of that. So... The, the Ballymore development of the National Training Facility, as I said, is stage one. That's really important for us. We'll move the team and the administration into that building. We'll rent out the or lease out the current administration building that we've got. And then there's plans to bring a swim school in uh, and other commercial buildings because we've got quite a bit of space there that have got some attachment to, uh, to sport. Um, and then we're hoping that we can at least break even, uh, and that isn't then a, a, cha- a, a an expense that we have to wear each year, and we can put the money that we make back into the grassroots and grow mm. and develop the game. Yeah, fantastic. Right. And just be- before we let you go, just speaking about the financial side of things, um, as as you know, Australia is looking at that private equity option. Some people are for it, others are dead against it. What's your thoughts? I think we're at the early stages of, of this. There's a, a lot of work to be done before we actually decide which way that, that we want to go. Um, we have got, uh, we are very short at the moment from a capital perspective in, in the game, and we're a long way away, or it seems that we're a long way away from the British Lions Tour in 25, possible World Cup in 27, which tend to be the pot of gold. Mm. Um but we also have to consider uh, what's happening around the world. How do we maintain and, and compete uh, with other nations that have uh, 
that have sold to, to private equity and, and how will that impact on us? So we're doing some, well, Rugby Australia are leading the work on it at the moment. As I said, I think that, uh, and I've spoken to Hamish about this, the, the one thing for, for me is we have to look 10 years down the track, which is likely to be the first exit of one of the private equity firms that might actually yep. uh, invest in us. And, and then what does that look like and what is the legacy we as a, as a board or we as administrators for the game actually leave for the rugby community? Mm. And I think we can do that and I think we can do it successfully uh, but we really, uh, I keep saying to our board, we've actually got to get ourselves in a position that protects us from ourselves because rugby has got this terrible cycle of, of ups and, and downs and, and there's very little in between. Um, and it, it, history will show that if we protect ourselves from ourselves, we'll just waste that money some way yep. or, or so it, it's very important that we, as current administrators in the game, whatever we do, we make sure that we leave a, a legacy for the, the grassroots of, of our game. Yeah, and that's um, music to the, the ears of every rugby fan in Australia. So, Jeff, mate, it's always great to catch up. We do appreciate your time. Um, again, congratulations to you and the Reds for a great season and, and all the best for the Trans-Tasman. Thanks, Mick. Thanks, Mitch. Go well, Ginge. Good to see you. Cheers. Thanks, mate. Cheers. So that was Jeff Miller, the chairman of the Queensland Rugby Union. And um, it'll be interesting to see how they go this week. Yeah, look, I, I would have thought <clears throat> off the back of a huge up from the weekend, they're going to struggle to, to, to get over up. the top of the Highlanders in Dunedin. Yeah. Um, so it's always a tough tough gig in Dunedin at the best of times let alone coming off the back of a couple of days on the beers and <laughs> celebrating and all the rest of it and then all of a sudden you're running out in, in Dunedin in a cauldron where all the students are screaming at you and it's all happening so um, if they can get over the Highlanders game though, if they can just sneak home and come away with a, a W that's going to set them up beautifully for the the big clash the following week against the Crusaders and um, you know, there, there'll be so much hype around that given that the, the both teams have won their respective competitions. Mm. So, look, it was good. Good night out for Queensland rugby. And it was, a, it was you know, there was no surprises there that it was always going to be a Queensland Brumbies final early on in the piece. But I think it lived up to everyone's expectations of what a final should be about. Um, and there was plenty of hype about it and talk about it. And it was, it was really positive for Australian rugby in, in general, I think. Yep, well said. So to the mailbag and the Trans-Tasman starting on Friday. Um, we've got the Highlanders up against the Reds, as we mentioned, the Waratahs against the Hurricanes at the SCG. And then on Saturday, the Crusaders against the Brumbies, the Rebels against the Blues and the Western Force against the Chiefs at HBF Park, a late one, 7.55pm kickoff. So Mitch, the Force up against the Chiefs, Richard Kahui up against his old team. What's going to happen? How are they going to go? Yeah, look, the you know, off the back of the Chiefs, and they're, they're going down to uh, the Crusaders from last weekend. They they were really competitive in that game. It, was, it wasn't until the, sort of the last 10 or 15 minutes the Crusaders really got away from them. Um, and they were very combative. They've been combative all year. Um, they do struggle at certain points in time and rely on key pay, players like Damian McKenzie um, and Brad Weber in particular um, was a big loss for them not playing last weekend. So, um 
they're, they're going to have to rely on those big guns to get them over the line against the force because the force will we have a bit have had a bit of time to prepare for this game. They know what's coming at them. It's a long journey across the ditch for the Chiefs. Mm. It's a long trip to come to um, to Perth. And as we heard from Tony Lewis a few weeks back, they really want to um, form up that sort of fortress mentality where teams are intimidated when they run out at uh, HBF Stadium. So it'll be a good night out Saturday night, late kickoff, which is good. It's a, like a super back to the old Super Saturday days yeah, where three we, games in a row. rugby from three o'clock in the afternoon all the way <laughs> through over here. It's fantastic. Um, it's late enough for all the people out in Clubland to get to the game as well. So let's hope we have a, a good crowd, maybe hopefully between ten and 15,000. Uh, a few of the Kiwis will get along to see, mm. get a taste of Kiwi action, which they've been deprived of for a couple of seasons. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I'm actually going for the force over that one. I reckon they'll, um, they'll start this competition off for, with a win. Wow, that'd be um, well. That'd be good. And are there are, are there still restrictions of numbers at HBF Park? Do you know, or are we? Do you know? Uh, no, we're, I think we're good to go. We're good to go for one hundred percent. Yep, I think it's uh, the restrictions are lifting on Friday night. If anything oh, over okay. a thousand, I don't think you even have to wear a mask. Oh really? Oh, that's good yeah. then. So get out to HBF Park, seven fifty-five kickoff, Western Force up against the Chiefs. Uh, in other news, the Wallaroos have had two tests announced against Samoa. Uh, first is a doubleheader with the Wallabies before the French test at Suncorp on July 17, and then at Leichhardt Oval in Sydney on Thursday, the 22nd of July. So a short turnaround, but but great for the Wallaroos, Mitch, to have oh, two confirmed test matches. Yeah, great news for Dwayne Nestor and, and his Wallaroo crew there. Um, that, that'll, that'll keep everyone happy for the short term while they come, come off a little bit of uh, unhappiness around the tournament-style Super, Super W. Mm. Um, but certainly having some Wallaroo test matches is, is great. And to be able to couple it with the Wallaby test matches is even better. Because we saw that in uh, the Bledisloe yeah. two years ago here in Perth. It was yeah, great. You it was get, fantastic, you get a, yeah. A good crowd and a great opportunity for the women who play great rugby and train hard to actually play in front of an audience. So I think the doubleheader is a, is a cracking idea. Um, yep. for the women and it is good they've got those two confirmed tests because they had the their world cup was cancelled as well and their super rugby or the super w comp's been thrown around a little bit so i think that's really good news for them and they'll be pretty pumped and hopefully they'll get good crowds to get out and and watch both of those games um, and speaking of the perth Bledisloe, it was originally scheduled for the 31st of july so my understanding it's not going to be on that day there was talk that it had been cancelled altogether, but during the week, I've got a mate of mine who wouldn't give his mother a dollar on Mother's Day. He's made a bet with someone that the game will take place in August, and he wouldn't bet if he didn't know he'd get a return. So we're hopeful the scheduling will allow it to be there. I emailed Rugby Australia on Monday and asked the question, will Perth be getting a Bledisloe this year? Haven't heard back, so we wait. But then Rugby WA today uh, sent out an invitation to a Bledisloe long lunch with dates TBC. So it, it looks like... It will be on, but no one knows when it's when. going to be on, uh, which again makes it very hard for leave people us hanging on the, <laughs> and, you know, not only here in Perth, but I've got like all the people that came across two years ago, they went home absolutely buzzing about how good that ground was and what a great day that was. And they would come back to Perth in a heartbeat. But all these tourism dollars that they're going to sacrifice by not letting people know, because like we're the same, we want to go on and watch a test match on the East Coast, but. It, we got three French tests, one on a Tuesday night, so you can't make a, went, a weekend out of it, one on a Wednesday that you can't do anything about, and then one on the Saturday. So people want to travel around, but then no one knows when to book. Yeah, that's it. It makes it bloody hard, doesn't it? Because, uh, yeah, you know, we, we've got a history of going to 
test matches over east and that as you say that but last time we hosted blues like up here like it was just buzzing the whole week absolutely um and the amount of econ- the economic and tourism dollars and and the money that's injected into the local economy because of it blues like match, match is enormous hmm. so to leave people hanging while they make other plans and think well you know we're getting a bit close to september school holidays might be able to not be able to do the august you know yep. we're thinking it's july we could have we could have planned around that then you've got that the later it becomes it also impacts on um club rugby as well as club rugby starts to work towards finals um historically the um the weekend of the test match here in perth has been a free weekend of club rugby so everyone gets behind it yep. well the later it goes the, the the less chance it is of being a free weekend of club rugby so then you start to cannibalize and offset the rugby community which mm. is the ones that are going to go yeah. to the rugby lunches on the friday and go to the game and have have the big day out with their mates and family and friends from over east. Yeah. So, yeah, they, they need to get their act together. They need to get their act together very very soon, and make some key decisions. And as we said the other week, just put just put the dates in place so people make plans. If you then have to move it because of COVID and and other things, people will people understand. understand. Yeah. And, and the airlines understand. The airlines understand. They you know they're refunding money. So everyone's everyone's understanding. So let's just try and make some. Do it tentative- up front. Yeah, let us know yeah. when, what weekend to keep free. And if it changes, so be it. Uh, the lunch with Richmond Corps that I spoke about at the height on Friday the 13th, uh, 30th of July, that's close to a sellout already. So Richie McCaw, um, a big, big crowd puller here in Perth. And they're talking about it. I think I might have snuck one in. I think I might oh, have snuck one in. That's why you keep plugging it every week. <laughs> and they're talking about, <laughs> they're talking about actually organising a dinner that night as well. Such was the demand to see him at lunch. So, yeah. Uh, so that's, uh, well, me, that's me and Heath perfect. will hang out in the public bar wherever it is and we'll just wait for you to finish. <laughs> table 21 and Table 22, Mitch Hardy, Heath Tessman. Um, other news, Dane Harlett-Petty, as we mentioned, played club rugby in Brisbane. But unfortunately for Dane, he, he didn't get hit during the, the game, but his concussion symptoms returned during the week. So, yep. you know, that's um, yep. a, a real shame for Dane. So, yeah, so I read that read, read that article. So he's basically come out and said that um, if they if they call it quits on him, he's happy to accept that and and take that and move into retirement. He's off contract with the Rebels this year. So um, obviously there's um, there's that that would be hanging over his head as well. But mm. um, expert advice is that, no, you don't have to retire just yet. But I think this latest episode with the symptoms um, re-emerging could be spelled trouble and potentially retirement for Dane Hallett-Petty. Because if you've had if you've had a headache for six months, you'd be starting to think, well, yeah, yeah. and he's got to put his health before the game. Mm. And I think he's a top. He's he's an intelligent, yeah, correct. Like so, like it's not as if he hasn't got life after rugby. Yeah, like he'll he'll transition into whatever career path he wants to pursue really well. Um, he's yeah. got a good network. He's a lovely bloke. Um, so I don't have any fears for him life after sport. And I mm. think um, he'll have plenty of people out there wanting to to give him a leg up and start a career in whatever he wants to pursue. Yeah, I think he'll do well in it. And just one thing um, meant to mention with the trans-Tasman. So the the odds have, the odds have come out um, from the bookies and it makes for some fairly interesting reading. So the Crusaders paying $1.83. They're the out-and-out favourites. The Blues, $7. The Chiefs, $8.50. Reds at $13. The Brumbies at $15. The Rebels at $67. Force, $151. And the Waratahs at $500 to $1. To win the Tasman. Yeah. Yeah, put a couple of bucks on the force. Yeah, a would, bit of a roughie, wouldn't it? $151. Yeah. I'd throw yeah. a dollar on that. Without a doubt. 
And I, I don't just, know if I'd put my dollar on the Waratahs. I think no, that'd be a waste. Not. No, I think so too. You won't get that back. And just one thing with the Waratahs, I noticed, um, I don't know whether they've announced their team today, but they're starting Carlo Tizano on the bench. Okay. Which right. um, So he, Charlie Charlie Gamble got yes, the nod. Yes, got the nod. Yeah, well, I guess the, those two guys have been going head to head. But Tizano was leading, you know, had the leading tack. Like he's, he's had a good year and he'd be filthy not, not starting oh. that game. Absolutely, but that's the way the kid is. Like he'd, he'd be filthy any point of time that he's not starting a game of rugby. So, um, but also you got to look at the Hurricanes. They've got a pretty um, combative for you know, like if Artie Savia and those sort of guys are playing. Because um, he was the, he was the one guy he wanted to play against. Yeah, well he he probably come off the bench. I reckon yeah, yeah. Carlo, if you let him loose for the last thirty minutes of a game, I reckon you It'll go nuts. You can at least finish well. Yeah, yeah. So, and do you think that might be a sign that he might be leaving? Well, he, he indicated that he's got to keep all these options open, especially if Michael Hooper's potentially coming back. And um, depends on when he is coming back, Michael Hooper, because mm. obviously he's still involved with Toyota the Blitz in Japan um, for 2021 at the moment. So you don't know when they're going to actually finish their competition there and when he's going to make himself available to to get back into Australian rugby. But I think he'd be, he'd be if you're looking to bolster up your back row, he'd be number one on your list. Um, I'm not convinced the Brumbies sevens really did the job after Jerome Brown um, was injured. Those Rory Scott and um, oh, mental block. Um, yeah, we'll come back to that one. But yeah, so those guys probably didn't set the world on fire seven. So you could actually look at a Carlo Desano in that Brumbies pack yeah, yeah, setup. That's true. Uh, obviously, the Rebels need a bit of oomph if they're going to rebuild, especially if they've got a new coach coming in. And of course, being a WA product and as much as Kane Koteka did a wonderful job as the number seven, he was, he was it. He was the only seven they really had in the the lineup over here in the force. So you could potentially, um, you know, have him and Kane sharing the responsibilities in the seven Jersey in the force lineup. Yeah. Which would be great. Which would be great. And then in club rugby, Mitch. Oh, club rugby. Um, Give me a moment, Mick. I need to bring up the scores from last weekend. Uni had a big win uh, last weekend. No, they went down. They Sorry. went down, yeah. A, a no, bit of an upset. Calamunda upsetting. Yeah, so that was a Calamunda. So Calamunda scores on the bell. I actually ended up watching the, the highlights of that one. So poor old Jake McIntyre, the force player, first game for uh, UWA, throws the intercept on full oh, time did he? to give Calamunda <laughs> Calamunda the win. So uh, poor old Jake, he's not going to be popular down there at the library, mate, <laughs> if he's going to throw away the uh, the lead on the ladder. The other big upset from the weekend was um, Wanneroo getting up over West Scarborough. So both the wow. top teams went down. So Wanneroo, 27-25. Um, a high-scoring affair between Southern Lions and Arcs, 48-26. Arcs take on Uni this week, and it's not going to get any better for them. They're sitting well and truly on the bottom. Pally skipped away from Perth Bayswater. That was a bit of an arm wrestle early on in the piece, and then I noticed Pally really stacked on a few points late in the piece to run out 52-23. to uh, Nettie's had a very comfortable win over um, the Joondalup, 48-26. As I mentioned, Calamana getting over Uni. And the Coastal Cavaliers... 43 to 22 over the goats. Um, so the latter, West Scarborough just keep their spot on top um, jointly with Nedlands. UWA is in third jointly with Palmyra. Calamunda's breathing down their necks, and Coastal Cavaliers round out the six. Um, on the bottom, 
the poor old goat sit on the bottom, then followed by Joondalup in position number 13, and Cottesloe, position number 12, after wow. going down to the associates, associates last week. Oh, in the Battle of Brent Street. Yeah, 19-16 to Soaks over oh, Cot. Close one. Yeah, so probably the pick of the games this week in the WA comp, Nettie's taking on Soaks will be the pick. Sir Charles Court Reserve down there. That'll be a good afternoon if the sun's out. Um, Pally taking on the West Scarborough Boars. That will also be a, a good tussle. Um, and Junilop taking on Cottesloe is probably the other pick of the games this weekend. Excellent. And did you have any shoot shield scores? Yeah. Off the, off the well, Gordon Highlanders got back in the winning circles, mate. They... Um, they that was at the death, a, wasn't it? Was it the very narrow win over Southern Districts 26-23. 87th minute or something, wasn't it? Was, uh, it was something ridiculous like that. I was flicking between different games on the weekend. I missed the end of it, um, but got the final result. Ringer only just snuck home over at Eastwood, 40 to 37. That's yeah, a massive, saw that big score. Oscar yeah. game for those two clubs. Um, and the big one for me was the Wildfires. The Newcastle Wildfires had a huge win over the Penrith Emus, 40, 86 to 10. Holy so God. the Wildfires um, up and about. Uh, let's have a look at their ladder. Sydney Uni on top, um, Northern Suburbs second, followed by Eastwood, Ringer, Gordon, and East, all um, sort of rounding out that top six. And, uh, and the poor old two Blues and Penrith are sitting on the bottom of the ladder there. So, yeah. yeah. The Japan Top League moves on this week. Um, the semi finals of this week. So, Toyota Viblitz, which is uh, Michael Hooper's team, up against uh, Robbie Deans's Panasonic Wild Knights. And the Suntory Goliath, who have been the form team all year, coming up against the uh, Bernard Foley Kubota Spears. There you go. Um, so that's that should be interesting times. Excellent for those games, which will decide on the Japanese top league. Over to Major League Rugby. Let's have a look at what's uh, going on there. I heard the Giltinis went down. So to, did I heard that? Yeah. Yeah, to NY, to the NY team, the New York team. Yep. Rugby United. So that was a massive upset. I don't know upset. what went yeah. on there. I didn't get to watch the highlights, but that was one. There was some really close games all around, like um, Old Glory. Yes. Down again. Oh, down they, down are again. they none from four now or none from five? Uh, 34, 33. <laughs> oh, one point. Two Utah Warriors. Yeah, they're nearly there. Oh, Johnny Utah. Um, Atlanta just got over Toronto and um, the Gilgronies went down to the New Jacks. So it's a pretty... Um, pretty tight comp. Yeah, yeah, tight sort of comp that. Um so we'll have to have a look at um, where that ladder is at some point. We might have a bit of a, a sneak peek into that, a little bit more detail in weeks to come. All Mickey, right. to see how it is all unfolding towards uh, some silverware. And if anyone wants to know how um, Heath Tessman's heavies went, just drop him a, on Twitter. You'll get hold of him, and I'm sure he'll give you a, a big a big rundown. Yeah, about we do his know East, Ti- East Tigers are now none from five. The running none from premiers, five. none from five. Wow. Yeah. That, that's so, quite amazing. Wow. Yeah. All right. Well, that's been a, a big week. Um, big big grand final on Saturday and the Trans-Tasman kicking off uh, the Force versus the Chiefs on Saturday night at 8 or 7.55pm at HBF Park and Club Rugby as always at 3.30 on Saturday afternoon. So Mitch, good to catch up. Yeah, it's good to see you too, Mickey. Are you going to be sidelined on Saturday night? Yeah, I, as far as I know, yeah, I'll be I'll be down there um, yeah, doing some interviews post-match, which would be, job. Which would be good. good. Um, All right. Tess, it would have been good to see you. So hopefully you've listened to this one. We do miss you. We look forward to seeing you next week. And a reminder, any feedback to the Rugby Rap page on Facebook or to Rugby underscore Rap on Twitter. Thanks again to everyone for tuning in and we'll catch you next week on the Rugby Rap.